Today we'll be reviewing U2's show at the Sphere in Las Vegas. Then we'll be discussing injuries and youth athletes. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. Not a real doctor. Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment, and I question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic from medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, I'll be reviewing my experience seeing you 2 in concert at the Sphere in Las Vegas. And then we'll be discussing injuries in young athletes. You know, Asif, you, always, you start this off by saying grilling. Ali grills me. I will be grilling you on why the hell we're talking about you 2 again. But apparently, and I'm going to say apparently and allegedly, a number of people, you would call a uncomfortably high number of people, have asked you about that U2 concert in Vegas that you attended. And uh, so apparently we need to talk about it. It better be good. That's all I'm going to say. Well, right? Because we it's, will been, hear about that. it's been too many years of me hearing you talk about U2 I know, I do feel bad. This is the second time this year we've talked about U2. And again, I wasn't really going to talk about this, but I did mention I was going to the concert a couple of weeks ago on the podcast. And then I went, and as Ali said, a lot of people have been messaging me, asking me about it. And so. I hope those a lot of people are listening and appreciating this, because I certainly am not. So let's oh, just get that up there. That's mean. <laughs> and in the I saw your pictures. I saw yes. the pictures you sent me. Love them. Very cool. And that's kind of where it ends for me. So you better bring your A-game today, Asif. And of course, in our second half, now that's actually something Ali wants to talk about because we've talked a lot about these repetitive use injuries and other kinds of injuries in young athletes. Ali and I have talked about that offline, so he wanted to talk about that formally on the podcast. There's a massive, massive scam happening. So you went to see this concert. In Las Vegas, in the month of November, right? So your your Bruce Springsteen was put on hold. Yeah, that's actually true. Bruce Springsteen was put on hold because of his medical issues. We talked about that in a previous episode. So my concert was postponed till November 2024. Yeah, Whoop, okay. So that's good. So. That gives us a year. And in a year, God willing, we will hear you talk about that concert. Yes. But this concert is something you say worth talking about. And definitely people. And also, is this the concert that they're doing all over North America or this is specific no. to Vegas? This is specific to Vegas. For ah, now. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because it's at this very special location. And that location is called the Sphere. Yes. Not the Spear, which Ali called it earlier on today. Good God. <laughs> Ridiculous. Okay. So hopefully people have seen this sphere because it is quite amazing. This is a literal sphere that is in the middle of Las Vegas. It's built by a company called Sphere Entertainment Company, which is a sister company to Madison Square Garden Entertainments, you know, based out of New York City. The total cost for this sphere, $2.3 billion. It was much less beforehand that it kept skyrocketing over time. Okay. The idea is this is a kind of venue that's going to hold four to six residencies a year. They've also done some other things. They have a film by Darren Aronofsky. We don't know Darren Aronofsky, the mm -hmm. famous uh, film director. He has a film, that a Postcard from Earth, which is playing there. It started on October 6th. Apparently it's amazing. I didn't see it. The venue of the sphere is 366 feet high, 516 feet wide at its broadest point. It's the largest spherical building in the world, and it can seat 18,600 people in the seats. But if you include like standing room for like general admission, it's 20,000. The key with this is the interior and exterior is all LED lights, and it's actually designed by a Canadian company called Sacco Technologies, based in Montreal. And that's their specialization is LED video displays. So the interior has 16K video resolution and this wraparound screen that is 160,000 square feet. So it's the largest and highest resolution LED screen that exists in the world. Then the exterior also has LEDs on it with 1.2 million hockey puck size LEDs on the outside. 
why do you need that on the exterior? So again, we can link to some links. So the outside is a sphere that they can project anything on it. So during the basketball playoffs, there'll be a basketball. And so it looks like there's a basketball. There was a big eyeball oh, that was looking around okay. Las Vegas. So it won't be what's happening inside. That would no. be insane. That would cannibalize sales. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Else. Yeah. So this is like a state-of-the-art concert venue. So if you can imagine, if you're inside at the concert venue, you know, the sphere is kind of bisected in half by the seats, and then there's a stage and screen kind of in front of it. The speakers are all behind the LED screens in the sphere. So you don't see any speakers, you know, in front of you. They're all behind the speakers, and there's 164,000 speakers. And so you don't even see the speakers when you're there. And there's also what's called haptic technology. So I didn't experience this during the concert. I don't know if my seat didn't have it or they just didn't turn it on. So haptics is like the seat vibrates or whatever. There's also, you know, 4D stuff with like smells and stuff like that. So you can smell Bono's sweat. I'm just joking. But the haptics apparently for Darren Aronofsky's film, there's an elephant, which you know, a bull elephant is running towards the screen and then it, you hear this pounding as it approaches and approaches and then you start feeling the vibration in your seats. So you feel the experience. So apparently that's what, that's what. How happens. hilarious would it be if Bono gets on stage and pulls up the mic and then there's like feedback, like after $2.6 billion. Dude, I have to, I have to tell you this. No. There, was, there was some feedback. Oh my God. Behind us that's for a couple of songs. Two. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's Overall, the sound was great. It is a bit like, I'm like kind of getting into the, the meat of it here, but I, I thought the sound mixing, like the drum should have been slightly higher the way it, coming through the speakers. There may be a reason for that, which I'll talk about in a second. There was a bit of very slight high pitch feedback for a couple songs. I don't know why, but I would say for maybe two or three songs. Yeah. What an outrage. Okay. Tell me this, this thing just opened and you two is the first band to perform in it. And is it a residency? They're there for like yeah. multiple weeks. Yeah. They were months. there for September to December and then they just ex extended it for January, February. Oh, wow. And they're performing every night. Yeah, they do like, I think Wednesday to Sunday maybe, or sometimes less than that. Okay. Uh, so not the full week. And then it's no opening act, it's just them. And people may ask, like, why you 2 right? Because this technology is so amazing. You need a band that can not just perform well live, but has that idea of technology and knows how to utilize some of these things. And there's not a lot of bands that do that, that are using technology to this level. I, I'm sure there are some pop stars like Taylor Swift who's doing this. But in terms of bands, U2 is one of them. Pink Floyd back in the day, Peter Gabriel. But, you know... I think we want a big band and a band that could utilize this technology to kind of maximize it, right? And the problem with U2 is they committed to this uh, several years ago, pre-pandemic. The problem is that Larry Mullen Jr., who is their drummer, had to have surgery. We talked about that in a podcast earlier on this year. So he's off, you know, re recuperating. So they had to hire a new drummer. And so he filled in. So I do wonder if the reason why the drums aren't quite as loud at some things is because they don't want to give, you know emphasis to you're not larry yeah i made him sound like abe simpson there bono you're not larry that'd be weird to sabotage even your guest drummer like uh it's about mm. the experience for the people i imagine who else is scheduled to perform there no one yet months? no one yet and again this is a bit of a spoiler for later i can't imagine another it would be very hard for another band to, to to top what they did. It's like so unbelievable. I don't know how they'll do it. It's a okay, good you challenge. Listeners, to you write to us and you tell us which bands would have no trouble following. Again, YouTube. there are better Possibly bands, no like live bands, like the Foo Fighters, for example, Bruce Springsteen, which we talked about. I mean, these guys will perform probably a better musical concert. I don't think we can argue with that. But, you know, I've seen Bruce Springsteen and, you know, it's just when you watch it's it, it's him. And on the video screens, it's his band. Like, that's it. You know, there's nothing else. Same with Foo Fighters. So yeah. how do you incorporate all the other stuff? That's the question, right? Yeah. I, I think you're leaving out a different genres of music Correct. that you're not yes. as familiar with pop and country. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. These have got to be a hot ticket. How did these come into your hands? Yeah. A lot of people ask me, how do you got tickets? It's possible to get tickets. They do have, like, when the tickets go on sale, you can enter into a lottery and then you can buy the tickets. That is possible. And then there's, and then, of course, you can get them aftermarket as well, which costs a pretty penny. There is, though, I checked because uh, I thought this question might come up. When we were sitting down in the seats, 
I looked on like StubHub or Vivid Seats, these aftermarket reseller, ticket resellers, and there were tons of seats available, like right when the show was starting for like 300 bucks. So, you know, this is not nothing, like they're not nothing, but there's a way if you just go to Las Vegas there, I'm sure you can buy tickets the day of uh, on the secondary market. Will you get, will those tickets be a scam? I mean, sometimes they are. It's a chance you take on buying secondary market tickets. Usually I've, I've bought lots of tickets on the secondary market. I've never had them be a scam, but it doesn't mean. I mean, you be. didn't go to Vegas and just say, I'll just do this. Absolutely right? you didn't not. Leave it to chance. <laughs> no. You're, you're no. too much of a Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely yeah. not. But people I know, but like, oh, you can buy a package where you get a hotel and a concert ticket and some of those when you think about how some of the tickets might be expensive that may be a good deal for some people now i'll tell you something interesting that happened when the tickets went on sale i was looking on the aftermarket and there was a bunch that were pretty cheap and i'm like why are these tickets so cheap then if you look in the fine print it says obstructed or limited view but I'm like, this is a brand new concert facility. How is that possible? So basically they made an error. So you have to kind of picture this in your head. You have different levels, 300 level, 200 level, 100 level. They're all on top of each other though, in a sense, because it's it's like half of a sphere. Like you bisect the sphere diagonally, it's like one on top of the other, and then in front of them is the stage. But there's an overhang where the 200 level overhangs the 100 level, okay? Mm -hmm. And so about half the seats in the 100 level have this overhang. But remember, it's a 360 sphere. That's the screen in front of you. Oh, so when they look up, they see the bottom of the 200. Exactly. So mm -hmm. that was a bit of a major error that occurred. And a lot of people were upset. So they had a choice that they could keep their tickets or get a refund, but they couldn't be guaranteed another one. So, and these are people who bought them legitimately, not even on the yeah. secondary market. Yeah. And there's also a thing where you can't, if you have a general admission ticket for whatever reason, you cannot sell it on the secondary market. So some people were selling them and then, and they bought them. And then the way it got to the venue, they're like, well, you weren't the original purchaser. So you can't get in. And that happened to quite a few people. So there were a few hiccups with regards to the ticketing issue. And then there's another ticket you can buy, which is very cheap, which is you stand on the outside of the sphere and you just, you're allowed to press your ear up against it. And so you're there, but you're not really there. Well, if I was the sphere owners, I would definitely You charge for that. That's yeah. a cool hundred for that one. <laughs> just a cool hundred. Have three drinks in Las Vegas or... Press your ear up oh, against the sphere. Yeah. So, so why did I tell you about the actual experience of going there and, and what happened? Because the, the going, getting something to drink in the place is very interesting. So, so you walk in, you know, there's lines, but it's all going in is actually pretty straightforward. Entering and then scanning your tickets, it's all relatively straightforward. The problem is the signage on the inside isn't that good. So there's like a huge line for the merchandise table, right? Because this is like a limited time thing. People want to get t-shirts, but there's probably like 50 Did different... you get one and how much did it cost? I did. It was $50. Oh, that's and so not my bad. Wife. Maybe that'd be that's more. not bad at all. They could have <laughs> really where we've you. come with the price of t-shirts at concerts these days. No, of course. It used to be 15 bucks in the 90s, though. But, but <laughs> yeah. t-shirts now are, I think, a reasonable t-shirt if you're supporting, you know, some band or something. 35 to 50. I think 50 is the high end for me personally. But my kids have gone to concerts where t-shirts were 70 yeah. I mean, bucks. it's 50 US, but whatever. It's fine, you know. Americans are not adding the word US, right? They don't. This concert was not created for Canadians, so you don't have to add that. That's, yeah. Uh, sorry. So, yeah, there's the lineup to get the merch was a bit of a mess. It was just very funny because there was a huge lineup. And then the people behind me, you know, I was like, this lineup's pretty big. They're like, yeah, we're going to send people off to go find if there's other T-shirt stands around the venue. And then the guy came back or his friend came back and he's like, yeah, there's like 15 of them. Like there's no lineups. <laughs> so I just, there was poor sides for that. Same thing with, with if you want to get a drink or a snack or something. The, some of the lines are really big, but if you walked elsewhere, they were fine. So it's all state of the art. It's very cool on the inside. There's many, many levels to get to the top there's like lounges and stuff it's pretty cool the inside again everything is brand new in it very strange though let's see if ali can figure this out so before the concert is about to start it's supposed to start around Spoiler eight o'clock i can't so i'm like going to go to the bathroom and the lineup for the guy's bathroom was so much longer than the lineup for the women's bathroom poo poo and women were doing pee pee i don't know how am i supposed to know the answer to that? well it's because <laughs> so it's because a lot of men there, and most of the men there are 
at least over 40, if not over 50, oh, if not over 60. Funny. So and they're like, oh, window. my prostate, like I need to go to the bathroom right before the show starts. So everybody went at the same time. Oh, and of, of course, course, you know, Dude, they're not. as a guy with the CBC uh, fan following, I should have actually known the answer to that. I yeah, should have known. Dope. So it's the only time it's ever happened that the guy's bathroom I've seen sure. like a longer see, line. I don't see gender. So that's why yeah, I couldn't there we go. Exactly. So our seats were amazing. They're on the 200 level right at the front. No obscured view. Yeah. So right at the 200, like I think there was one row in front of us. And so the first half hour is this DJ playing like in this car, which has like neon lights on it. Apparently it's from their U2's old Pop Mart tour from the late nineties. I don't remember that. I went to that tour. I don't remember this car, but anyway, and he just plays like kind of eighties and nineties, like hits, Rock? dance hits. No, more like more like like poppy songs more and it was a huge waste of time i should have gone and wandered around the sphere more i was like this is brutal i i like it was like so that was about 30 to 40 minutes Uh, so you could easily miss this there's nothing to see here speaking of nothing to see here you didn't take your kids right no no just me and and my wife wife and and one of my buddies yeah so when you're sitting there after this guy leaves you're looking at the sphere on the inside and it looks like it's a bunch of bricks like these huge concrete slabs but that's not what it is that's a projection and even if you look up there's like a skylight you see birds flying by you're like yeah that's not a real skylight that is an led projection like that's a you know, it's it's a video, but it looks real. Everything looks real. So then YouTube comes on stage and all these bricks kind of crumble and split apart and you realize that it's a screen and and the enormity of this screen just you can't explain it. It's crazy. And it's so bright that at certain songs they're playing in the desert. The background is a desert and it's so bright you feel like you're outside. And if you turn and look at the rest of the concert, everybody is completely lit up. Like you can like you could identify your friend on the other side because the light is so bright and so clear in terms of what's going on. It was basically unbelievable. The whole point of this was they're doing their album from 1991, Actung Baby, playing it in its entirety. They don't play it in order. They kind of move things around. Oh, it's just that one album. No. So what they do is they play the first third of the concert is the one side of the album, essentially. Then they do a middle part where they don't use the back screen as much. They, uh, they just kind of play on the stage and they play some really from my concert they played some very old songs that you may not have heard in a long time like from rattle and hum i don't know if you remember when love comes to town uh their what? song with bb yeah, king of course i remember dude but some people don't and they that play got a lot, a lot of, of radio airplay come on man that was the people and they that. played love rescue me as well from them these are songs that they don't play very often anymore and they haven't played in years some of them and so and then they apparently they're picking and choosing different songs you know day before we saw them they played angel of harlem they didn't do it this time and so they it's a bit more stripped down for this and then the last third is they play the second side not in order of acting baby and then they play a couple of extra songs for various encores which i won't ruin for people but you basically get to hear all the hits like anything you want to hear you basically get to hear during this oh no kidding but not not the uh, stuff that they vowed not to play off war not their sunday bloody sunday and did they vow not to play that no maybe not vow but i there's some there's something in the news about bono saying like i i don't want to play that anymore you know Oh, really? That's interesting. No, apparently they just played Seconds from, you know, Seconds? It's the first track on, on from War, War, I believe. Yeah. yeah, sure. They haven't played that in 30 years, I guess. Like, okay. it's, it's they're really kind of, you know, and then you guys might have heard Lady Gaga joined them for this section, not when I was there, but about a week later uh-huh. she was there and she joined them, played, sang a couple songs with them. They sang Shallow. Oh, I love it. It's really hard to explain how incredible this was. So the videos are just... The video screen is absolutely amazing. So one time it seems like they're on a lake and there's a lightning storm in the background. Another time there's all these images moving down on the screen. It makes you feel like you're kind of rising up. I can't even explain how it looked. It didn't make people motion sick from what I saw. Like I wasn't and it didn't look like anybody was vomiting or anything. So I, I don't think you, you should be worried if you have motion sickness. I think it's it's just such an amazing experience because you're seeing a very good band and some songs that most people know and like. Actung Baby is 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 an album that most people have heard and, and like. So if you hate them, don't go see this, like obviously. But that brings up an interesting thing because your wife is not the U2 lover like you are. 
Did she enjoy herself? She did. First of all, she loves this album. And I think a lot of people like that. They may like this album or they may like Joshua Tree, but they're not a huge fan. So, but if that's you and you fall into that category, like, oh yeah, I know these songs or whatever, you will have a great time. She loved it. It's easily the best concert that she's ever seen, the best concert I've ever seen, hands down, because Amazing. a concert you want, the, and it's an experience, right? It's not, it's similar to what I was saying about Alchemist, uh, that restaurant I went to in Copenhagen, and we talked about a couple episodes ago. It's just such an unbelievable experience, and you're seeing the height of technology. We talked about this structure and the LED. It's like nothing <laughs> I've ever seen before, and I would 100% go back and do it again. And it's not filled with a bunch of U2 nerds who are all like, "Mm, this is the fourth song on their fifth album. Actually, on the limited uh, release edition, it's the seventh song. It's not like people are just enjoying themselves. I mean, obviously, you know, the tickets are pricey. So it's obviously, you know, you have to be willing to spend that money. There were a few kids there, not a ton. One thing that's very interesting is the general admission. Someone asked me about this because they want to go. They're like, what about the general admission? So there's two sides to this. The general admission is not that big for a concert, like a U2 kind of arena style concert so in other words you're probably going to get closer to you two even at the back of general admission than you ever have before it's not like seeing them in a small club but it's pretty good it's also not like a football arena exactly exactly yeah. but the problem is is that you have to look up all the way up to get to the whole led experience right so in a sense maybe sitting in the seats is better but again a general admission you're getting close to a band that you probably will never get this close to ever again so i don't know another thing people ask me is what other things could be there and it's tough. I think concerts for sure and a residency where you really put a lot of attention into these background and LED details could be amazing. Again, you can be performing anywhere in the world in quotation marks with the background that you have and put some very interesting stuff. I think they talked about boxing and MMA. I mean, you could, but then you're just watching it on a big screen, which you would could do at you know, Mandalay Bay or MGM Grand or some of these other places in Las Vegas. So I'm not quite sure what else other than concerts. The venue is amazing. The concert's amazing. I highly recommend, if people have at all the ability or interest, to really try and go. And like I said, there are ways to do it that you could probably do it in a way that's affordable. Or if you just happen to be in Vegas for something else, see about getting tickets that day. It's totally possible. All right, so we're going to talk about injuries in youth sports, and they share the shares an element with uh, your story about you two at mm. the Sphere. Do you know what that common element is? Because the drummer was injured? Maybe he no. had repetitive strain injury because of drumming all the time. I mean, that's a maybe. You'll have to look into that. I cannot confirm or deny that. The common element is your wife, the great Dr. Megan Harrison, who was with you at U2 and is also the reason that I know about these repetitive strain injuries or repetitive stress injuries. It was Megan who told me about this. Mm. She told it to me at a time because your daughter is older than my older son by about, I guess, four years or something like this, three years. (laughs) That's like one of those riddles, you know, that like, you know. (laughs) It is, it is. If my son leaves a train going west from Berlin and your daughter, anyway, the point is at the time, my older son couldn't even kick a ball straight. You know what I mean? So it wasn't as apparent to me about this, but it it had obviously come on your wife's radar as a pediatrician and as somebody who is a a very involved parent in the world of soccer, competitive soccer. So what has happened here, and the, the part that bothers me the most is it's showing no signs of stopping, even though there's agreement among all the people, every single person you talk to Every expert, whether you talk to doctors, pediatricians, athletic trainers, everybody agrees that this is this, this multi-sport athlete has given way to this simultaneous sport athlete, meaning that you no longer have, you know, like we wanted to put my son in baseball and in soccer. Mm -hmm. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. Can't do. There's no way you can have soccer and some other sport, at least not in the city of Toronto. I think, you know, somebody was suggesting to me in Vancouver because of the weather, it's still an option. But soccer goes year round, as do many, many sports. You can now play hockey year round. You can now, and, and people go, oh, that's so great. This reminds me of like, 
you know, we're trying to watermelon in like February and stuff. Certain things should be in certain seasons. And part of it is an entitlement on the part of the parents. We want to be able to practice all year round. Okay. However, a larger part, I believe, has to do with the greed of these organizations. They want to make money and it has become a racket. And if I, as a parent, go, you know what? Out of fear of my child mm-hmm. getting a repetitive stress, repetitive strain injury, I'm going to take him or her out for three months and play some other sport. All of a sudden, you start to be like, oh, man. But then there's like team bonding that's not, not yeah, happening. Yeah, depriving there's them like of depriving. this. Yeah. In the end, that worry about depriving, it can very easily be replaced by a new worry, which is the injury that your kid gets because of they keep doing the same movement all the time, five to seven days a week. So it's kind of insane. And people generally know it's an issue and they seem to be ignoring it. And despite all the good advice about it. So I, you know, I was reading this article that has some advice and I can bring that up later, but right now I'd rather you to get a medical opinion at this point about repetitive strain, repetitive stress. Is it as much of a concern as I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to make it? Yeah, it is. It is. And so, good. yeah, first so and you're foremost, right. justified. I would hope so. The news came from your wife. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's full of crap. Tell me why this yeah. happens. Because we also t- think about young kids and they're, they're malleable and, you know, yeah. they heal so quickly and all this stuff. So this kind of flies in the face of that. Yeah, for Why sure. Why are they at risk for these injuries? Yeah, let's talk about it. And by the way, just so we're clear, like Wayne Gretzky, you know, the greatest hockey player who's lived. Used to play baseball every summer. Mario fact, Lemieux is, but anyway, it's not important. Yes. What's that? Yeah. He's, <laughs> yeah. Mario Lemieux is the greatest. But it doesn't, I mean, in my opinion. These are... <laughs> okay. But I don't know what Mario Lemieux did in the summer. We can look that up. But Gretzky definitely played baseball. In fact, he kind of wanted to do baseball a bit more when he was younger than, sure. than hockey. And then he just. There's was, hundreds of examples of athletes now in their, you know, 30s, late 20s to, you know, 50s, 60s who did that. That's. Then we're talking about the greats, you know, the right. LeBrons and the, remember Bo Jackson, the guy could play like three sports and, you know, Pascal Siakam on the Raptors, it was soccer and basketball, he thought he wanted to be a soccer star, in fact. Yeah, there's lots of cases. And I think over time, we're going to hear less and less stories about those athletes who play. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So the problem is, if you just look at the bigger picture, from a cultural standpoint, we've created this environment where success in sports is to develop an elite athlete and winning at all costs, as opposed to the development of physical health, right? That's what, remember, we want the kids outside playing, you know, keeping up their physical fitness, liking athletics, you know, for health benefits, Right. But the issue is, as you said, people are playing one sport year round and young athletes, they're growing. And so that actually puts them at more risk than adults. And so you can impair growth by having these injuries and it can lead to long-term health problems. So there's a bunch of reasons for this. And I'm going to go over some things that can put you at risk for these overuse or repetitive strain injuries. So one of them is development. So the human bodies are not fully developed into their late teens. So young athletes are more at risk for these repetitive strain injuries. And one of the areas involves this something called the growth plate. So the growth plate is the areas of new bone growth in children and teens. But they're made of cartilage, not bone. Okay? We all know cartilage is our ears and our nose, right? They're not bones, right? So they're mm. not as strong. So it's weaker than solid bone, so it just makes it more likely to get injured. And that's we'll, we'll go through some of the specific things that can happen a lot in these kids, and you'll see how these areas of growth plates can really be affected. The other problem is, as you said, we just specialize in one sport year-round, so that puts near-constant stress on the same areas of the body all the time. There's also some evidence that athletes who participated in individualized sports, so tennis, gymnastics, running, dancing, are more prone to overuse injuries because they don't play with a team. So maybe they train more intensely because they don't have anybody to kind of gauge their skills off of and they got to do everything on their own. Sure. If you think of a tennis player... I mean, it's constant, right? Whereas a soccer player, there's downtime when the ball is not close to you, you're resting, you're, you know, just kind of in a slow jog sometimes, and then Mm -hmm. you pick up, right? Yeah, you can definitely visualize that, especially tennis comes to mind. 
that that strain must be insane. Some other things that can happen is diet. And I know some people might be thinking, oh, yeah, they have an unhealthy diet. So that predisposes them because they're eating junk food because they're teens. But that's not what they mean. We mean the opposite. Athletes may restrict their diet because they may not be getting enough nutrition to keep their muscles, joints, bones healthy. You don't have calcium, you don't have vitamin D, iron deficiency in female athletes. You might not be paying attention to these things in terms of getting adequate nutrition, and that can predispose you to problems. I mean, you could also be talking about junk food, right? Junk food also results in inadequate nutrition. Yeah, I guess if you're not keeping up with your calories, uh, you know. Sure, you're saying restricting calories specifically means yeah, 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 exactly. Or yeah, and of course the social supports too. So young athletes who lack a good social support network are at risk for overuse injuries because you can think if they have low self-esteem, they may be driving themselves more and more and more and more into their sport and then creating these overuse injuries. So a good social support, good peer group, is important for these athletes. It shouldn't just be the sport to the exclusion of everything else, which I think, you know, you can think about all these things that we're talking about that the parents can have an influence on, right? Yeah. All those things, you know, there's also some non-modifiable risk factors. So when a growth spurt occurs, you can't control that, your body size, and definitely a history of previous injury. It's the strongest predictor of future injuries. So this is important, right? It's making sure that parents, players, and coaches are not making these athletes, these young athletes, play through injuries, right? Because that's going to predict your risk of developing further injuries down the road. As you talk about this, you know, I'm thinking about another probably podcast episode that we can do, which is the psychological element of being injured in the sense that if your entire identity is, I am a soccer player, right? Or I am a musician, whatever it is. I am. And if you lose your ability to do that, I mean, it is, you do some real soul searching and you can spiral into some, into a bad place as well. Listen, you know, Ali knows a couple of years ago, two years ago, I dis, I fell and dislocated my shoulder, not playing sports or anything. And I was depressed for a couple of months just with that. And I'm not an athlete. You know what I mean? Imagine if like that is your be all and end all is, is playing yeah. these sports and you get an injury like this. I mean, it is much weigh on people so much. I totally agree. But, you know, there are things you can do, right, to help. And this has been documented, and I know, you know, a lot of our friends are physiotherapists and they advocate for this. So flexibility, strength training, these are important things to do to, you know, strengthen the other muscles, improve your flexibility, and not overtraining. Because we know that excessive training loads can lead to this physical fatigue, like fatiguing of your muscles. And if you continue participating in sport once you're fatigued like that, that will increase your risk of injury. And so this is where the coaching becomes so important, right? Yeah. I was going to ask you about what type of injuries are the most common. What do you see most? Yeah. So a lot of this is the repetitive stress injuries. So that's basically what it sounds like, a chronic overuse injury because of you're stressing these muscles, joints, bones without adequate recovery time in between. So I think we all know that. It depends what you're doing. Swinging a tennis racket will be different than a swimmer, will be different than a soccer player. Mm -hmm. And overuse is about half of all pediatric sports injuries. I think people would be interested in hearing like examples of what type of injuries are seen. You put swimming in there. So obviously that is different, but I think, you know, you're using your lower body quite a bit in most sports from tennis to soccer to hockey. So what kind of stuff do you see? It's true. It's funny you say that because like swimming is a huge leg predominant sport, but it just. But not, you're just not prone to injury in your legs. Yeah. As much as your arms. Yeah. With with the, with the overuse. Okay, so I'll give you a few examples. So one is the Severs disease. So this is causes a, a chronic heel pain. Severs? Severs, S-E-V-E-R apostrophe Dude, S. Dude, that's a terrible name. Because it's like severe, but not quite severe. And it's like severing an oh, arm yeah. from the rest of the body. Dude, you oh, gotta yeah. get, the, get this Dr. Severs or whoever the <laughs> scientist is, get their name out of there. So you have a... Uh, <laughs> 
a growth plate in the heel bone, which is called the calcaneus, okay? And again, so you're getting inflammation and, and injury to this growth plate. So things that involve your heel striking the ground a lot. So running, jumping, that type of thing that could cause this Severs disease. Another one is Osgood Schlatter disease. This is pretty common. It's probably out of all these, the ones that we hear about the most. So this is where you have pain right in front of the knee, kind of like right below your kneecap, there's an area called the tibial tubercle, right? It's a little bump right below your kneecap, and that's where that area gets pain. They're both called diseases? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I thought these were injuries. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. We call them diseases in medicine. Yeah, I know why you call them diseases. Anyway, okay. All right. So you, you, so, that's, so you get some inflammation there. You can also get a, a different one called jumper's knee, which is also called sinding larsen johansson disease. I think you prefer to call it jumper's knee, I believe. Yeah, yeah I do. I do. With the respect what? to the larsen johansson families, yeah, I'm going with jumper's knees. Don't forget sinding. Don't forget sinding. This is also the knee. It's the lower portion of the, your kneecap or patella. So right below where your bony part of your kneecap is, you could feel down. So it's that kind of tendon there. So that's from repetitive contraction of your quad where it attaches to the kneecap. So you can also call it patellar tendonitis. Again, this is a common one that can happen. And of course, we talked about these like overhand throwing for baseball, they have to be very careful for pitchers or anybody who's doing this overhand throwing. So that can be usually elbow injuries. And there can be different parts of your elbow that can be injured with different activities. We don't have to get into those minutia. And then probably the biggest one that you hear about, I think, Ali, is for runners, they can get stress fractures, right? Yeah. And this is when, again, the muscles become fatigued. Okay, so now you're overexerting your muscles. They transfer this overload of their stress and the fatigue on the muscles to the bones, right? And so this stress is being placed on them. They can't build up bone fast enough to compensate for this. And then the bone fails, and then you get a small crack, which is a stress fracture. We're not calling it a stress fracture disease just yet? No, not no, no. Yeah, big F you to medical community for that, by the way. Think about what that means to a kid to say you have this disease. It's immensely, immensely unnecessary versus like you have, this is something that's, you know, curable over time. You can work on it. Whereas there's a disease, I mean, really, just creating well, extra Ali problems. will write his letters in who he's writing them to. I'll we write them know. in blood. In blood, I'll oh, write them. Oh, boy. Anyways, you can imagine this is usually these stress fractures are in the weight-bearing bones of the lower leg or the foot. And remember, they take like six to eight weeks to heal usually. So you cannot do activity during that time. So sometimes you need to wear a cast or a brace, right? You've seen people with a, or a walking boot. You've seen those, right? Sure. Because they need to arrest the injured bones. Yeah. Our friend who's an orthopedic surgeon was saying to me, often when a young kid sprain their ankle, it puts them in a boot. Why? Because kids don't understand the value of resting, aren't able to rest. So you're just like, the only way this, this kid's going to rest their foot, because they want to run around, they have all this energy, you got to put them in a boot. So sometimes it probably feels unnecessary, but it is necessary for that six to eight weeks of healing or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. So let's talk about solutions, because presently, you know, the most obvious solution is you take your child out of... Uh, certain sports and put them in other sports and, and mix it up, right? Mm -hmm, variety mm -hmm, would mm -hmm, be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Not always possible for a variety of reasons, whether your team or the organization or, you know, the families and friends that you've made along the way are making you feel like you can't. You should if you can. So what else can we do barring that? Yeah, I mean, this is the advice. Again, it's from lots of, of the sports organizations, the sports medicine organizations and orthopedic surgeons. Some of them are American recommendations, so they may be slightly different in Canada. So, for example, they say get a preseason sports physical, and a lot of teams, I guess, require that in the U.S. That is not a common thing in Canada. We don't do kind of these physicals for sports teams, camps, etc. It's just not done very often in Canada because the government is not interested in paying for these types of things. So that's not very common, but it happens more in the U.S., I believe. And then the, the, one of the main things is to promote cross-training and variety, as you said, a single sport all year round, a single sport all year round will cause these repetitive stress injuries and burnout in young athletes, right? The variety is also good for that point of view. And so it's kind of cross-training, right? 
They said proper cross-training means limiting your child to one sport per season and encouraging them to try different activities from one season to the next. And so it obviously prevents the overuse, but it also makes them stronger. And there's lots of evidence that suggests that cross-training athletes who do multiple sports are overall, that do multiple sports are overall better athletes than the ones who specialize in just one area. Another thing you have to do is promote pain-free sports play, okay? So a lot of people say, oh, I'm injured. I'm going to work through my injury. I'm just going to keep keep going and just push through it. That's not what should be happening. And again, this is the patients and the athletes need to do that, but definitely the parents and coaches need to also reinforce that. And some people say you have to build in periods of rest and cross-training. So in a year, you should schedule two or three months of scheduled rest away from training and competition. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to necessarily like sit around for a month, you know, uh, three times a year. But they say that there's different things. So you, as you're getting ready for, say, your season, say your soccer season, you get ready by building strength, improving movements. My personal trainer talks about, you know, getting ready for these explosive type movements, because if your body's not used to doing these sudden movements, that's where you can get an injury, right? I mean, I think Ali and I both have many friends who've torn their Achilles tendon because they're like, yeah, yeah, let's go playing soccer. Let's go start playing football with the guys. And they end up with like injury and they're out of commission for a long time. So you need to kind of get into that. Then the season, you maintain those skills. Then when the season is over, they say, you know, you need this period of relative rest, but you don't have to be doing nothing. You could do strength training, core training, improve flexibility, work on your proximal muscles. So your shoulder girdle muscles, your hip girdle muscles, strengthen those. So there's ways to do it where you're not sitting around doing nothing, but you're just training different things and not doing the same thing every time. And of course, the last thing is eating properly, like we talked about. So athletes can skip meals or they can rely on meal supplements all the time, right? Like, oh, protein shakes, protein bars, but you don't want to end up causing a nutritional deficiency. And then you have to be careful, right? People who have restrictive diets, so gluten-free diets, you may not be getting the calories that you need if you're an athlete, vegetarian or vegan diets. There's nothing wrong with that, but you really need to be making sure you're getting adequate protein and iron, not just for your daily life, but now you're expending even more calories. So it takes a blood test to figure that out, I believe, right? If you want to really figure out if you have enough protein, iron mm, in particular, you not you want to necessarily. Go for you can figure out your protein requirements just by like looking, you can calculate that based on your body weight and the amount of activity you do to see if you're iron deficient. Sometimes doctors can just make that clinically, depending on your symptoms. You know, you have paleness mm. or or he women who have heavy periods. Like they can sometimes just figure that out and say, this is most likely why you're fatigued all the time. Sometimes you need a blood test for the iron. And there is something called relative energy deficiency in sport called red S, where it's a syndrome. Again, all these upset that we're labeling this a syndrome, <laughs> but you have this imbalance between athletes' energy expenditure and nutritional caloric intake, which you can, you know, Imagine that's a serious problem. Again, you know, you're spending more calories than you're taking in, and then that's going to lead to definitely poor athletic performance, but overall poor health. And of course, that's when you can get into a type of eating disorder because you're expending more energy than you're taking in. So that's another important thing to consider. There's something I'd like to add to this as we're just wrapping up, which is from this website called ilovetowatchyouplay.com. And this is an article about this multi-simultaneous sport athletes and what they should be doing. Can I interrupt for you yeah. for a second? Do people, hopefully people know why that website is called that. I've never been to that website, but hopefully people know why. Because when your child, this is separate from the medical aspect of things. Yeah. When your child finishes doing a sport, the most important thing you should tell them is I love to watch you play and that's it. Your job is to not be their coach and give them feedback on what they did well, what they didn't do well your joy of watching them play, that's what will foster this idea of I am playing sports for the enjoyment of it and to improve a healthy lifestyle. So sorry, that was an aside. Go ahead. No, no. I, I have a friend who said, you know, when he was young, his least favorite part about playing sports was the drive home with his father. Because his father would be like, why are you not this fast? And why are you not this? And you're not, you know, and it's a, this is also like an immigrant parent. 
who applied the, you know, 95 is not good enough, 100, applied that to sports. This is not just your classic, you know, white bread, tough athlete stereotype. This is, you know, everybody can fall into this no matter where they're from. I mean, this is you know, a man who'd never even played sports, but he would make his son's... Um, drive home miserable. And I heard that story when my kids were at a young age. So I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be committed to not doing that. But yeah, that's a very valuable addition also. So things that multi-simultaneous sport athletes should be doing according to this website. Number one, get eight plus hours of rest per mm, night. Good point. I mentioned that also because you didn't, and I encourage people to look up Tom Brady, okay? award-winning, much-celebrated quarterback, and LeBron James, okay? one of the best ball players, if not the best, to ever play the game. Look at their rest schedules. I mean, rest is maybe the most important thing to offset all the other things that they do or, or compensate for all the other things that they do. Their rest schedules are insane. It's well over 10 hours of rest a day. They've spent millions of dollars to ensure that they have like these systems in place and products in place to help their rest and, you know, I, I see it even at a young age, you know, I, I don't want to call out any of the parents who are the fantastic parents that I've met, but I remember one of the parents saying like, yeah, he was up late playing video games with mm. his buddies yesterday. And guess what? As he was playing, he looked like a kid who was up late yeah, playing okay, video exactly, games. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. a very quick, I mean, it's super apparent. Rest helps and lack of rest doesn't. Another thing is, I don't know what you know about this, but you can incorporate active recovery and foam rolling techniques, right? These are things that can, when they're done correctly, so this has to be, you know, don't just watch like one video or anything like that, get the proper instruction, but these can, you know, relieve muscle tightness and soreness and increase your range of motion and obviously assist in preventing injury long-term. Number three, stay hydrated. Mm-hmm. Very important, the amount that these kids are sweating, you mm -hmm. know, they probably don't even know. Sometimes I wasn't really sweating. Yeah, but you were standing out in a field for 90 yeah. minutes baking, like you probably want to, right? So there's a lot of guidelines people can look up for how much their kids should be hydrating, but it's probably more than they already are. We can definitely say that. Number four, they say, you know, in line with what you were talking about, Asif, about taking time off from a sport, these guys say you take two days completely off of each sport every week. So five days on, two days off. And again, talking about the racket of sports, very difficult. And, you know, hockey especially, oh, good, we're only playing three times this week. All of a sudden, oh, a shooting school right, thing came up, that right? In, yeah. And let's add that, oh, we got ice time. Anybody want? And like, you want to be, you, you become that person. You're like, oh God, yeah, I guess we'll go for the ice time, you know? They love it. They love practicing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, you know, I hear... The amount of times I hear that from parents, oh, they love it. You know, they love it. They, yeah. they being the kids. But what's the long term? They, did, they, did they love it? <laughs> and, you know, the problem is a lot of this is, again, we're, we're kind of moving away from the medicine and more to the psychology of it. There is this level of anxiety that is causing this. It's not just the aspirations, I want my kid to be an NHL player or a major league baseball player. I think it's this anxiety that if I don't, go. If I don't take advantage, I'm a bad parent. They're going to be unhappy. They won't be as good as the other kids if I don't take advantage of the extra practice and paying for mm -hmm. this. And let's do the dry land training for hockey. Let's do that. Okay. Oh, there's an extra weightlifting course. Let's try that. You know, you have to always do these extra things. So I think there's this level of anxiety that people have to look at internally and see the reasons why they're making these decisions. But sorry. Yeah, very well going. said. No, not at all. Very valuable interjection there. You know, we've been going through all this as well. And we know for next year, there won't be any hockey in summer. There just won't be. We were trying to like mm. keep them like in the game and keep them a little bit loose and Friday night hockey and all this. Screw it. We're just not going to do it. We'll put him in a camp for five days at the end of the summer to get him sort of, you know, back into the motion. And that's what we did this. And I think full three months off. I think planning it ahead of time, mm -hmm. you know, we are now, whatever we are, we're the late fall and we're thinking about next summer. I think that's what you got to do. Cause as a parent, sometimes you need to sort of brainwash yourself <laughs> into remembering like, mm -hmm. oh, this is important. Remember, yeah. this is important to us. And it's something we've said on this podcast before, and I don't remember the context, but 70% of children will quit sports at age 13. 
13 is our coach has told us that, you know, our coach, now I'm being, my, my son's coach has, has told us that he's well aware. Everybody's ready for that. They just leave. And, and I think we're preparing ourselves mentally that that might be the case as well. But yeah, they need to be, kids themselves need to be aware of, you know, possibility of burnout, all those, those clues your body gives you for burnout. And exactly. Exhaustion. And you'd rather, like, I'm not saying they have to continue being like an elite athlete, but you want them to still enjoy exercise and, and sports and incorporate that into their daily lifestyle. That's the goal. If that's the goal, then them quitting sports completely at age 13 is unfortunate, right? And so you want to prevent as you're saying, that burnout or that dislike of sports from yeah. occurring. I'm in a different boat with the kid who plays hockey in our house. I'm like, please quit before age 13, for <laughs> God's sake. I don't want to be in these stupid towns every weekend in these dumb tournaments where all these parents are like trying to act like all big and bad. Like, you're not cool, dude. You're living through your eight-year-old, all right? that's There's nothing cool about it. I, hate the hockey culture so much. And then of course, hitting is introduced to the game by the time they're like 12 or 13. I pray that my son hates hockey and we have to, I'm open to a, your suggestions, how to make my son hate hockey. You know, at 13, they start beating each other with sticks in the <laughs> locker room. Some, any kind of propaganda, I'm open to it. We'll replace that with different sports, but I got to get this kid out of hockey. He just likes it too much is the problem. And rant. That's our episode for today. Let us know what you thought. A lot of us talking about our opinions, so hopefully that was okay. I mean, that's kind of what we do in every episode. But some scientific evidence there as well with regards to these repetitive strain injuries in young athletes. Let us know any other questions you guys had about YouTube. Promise we're not going to do another YouTube episode for a long time now. Thank unless you. somebody dies or something in the band. Uh, Oops. But I think there are some more areas to explore, as Ollie was saying, about these injuries in athletes. You know, for example young women in their teens have one of the highest rates of ACL tears, right? We think, oh, it's going to be like NFL players or whatever, but it happens a lot. So the reasons for that are also important. So that could be another episode. Let us know if that's something you guys are interested in hearing about. Dr. V Comedian on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we are everywhere, or email us, drvcomedian at gmail.com. But remember that though I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only, and they're not medical advice. Please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Also remember that Ali Hassan is not a coach, physiotherapist, or personal trainer. True story. I can't even argue with any of that. Don't want to be, I'm not qualified to be. Bye. Thank you.